0: moment we remember you we thank you for all that you have done for us sharing grace life hope peace you've not treated us as our sins deserve in fact you've been so kind to us we're very grateful and thankful today we appreciate all that you've done for us and as mark was sharing we appreciate the example you've set for us You put our needs way ahead of your own, and help us have a heart that does the same thing for others. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we come to the conclusion of our series uh, that we've been kind of looking at on the calls of God. And by now you recognize that this was really a series that was built around the Great Commission and the things that Jesus asked the disciples to be about, baptizing and, and, of course, making disciples. And so we're going to talk about this idea of discipleship today, but before I do that, I just want to share a couple things you might not know. So one thing is, of course, last week was about baptism, and and we, we really focused on that. And there were two decisions at the end of the of the first service, but there were six decisions last Sunday after the service had come to its conclusion. So it was a remarkable day as our baptisms. But I want you to know something about baptism. And in many ways, baptism is a beginning, right? It's not the end of a journey, it's the beginning of a journey. It's an important part of that. Discipleship is what happens kind of next. It's the the part that happens after that. It's very important. Think of it this way, right? In baptism, we celebrate everything that's about God's grace, him forgiving us, washing away our sins, and Jesus, he paid all that price. We, We can't earn it. We can't pay for it. Nothing we can do is good enough. It's all because of what Jesus did. And at baptism, we celebrate what Jesus has done but we're also called to become disciples of Jesus. And here's, here's the scandal of the church today. Not just our church, but all churches. The scandal of the church is that churches have, been a pretty, have done a pretty good job at getting people to know about who Jesus is, even to believe in him. But we've done a pretty poor job across the sphere of the church at making disciples. It's something that we need to be better at. And here's why it's so hard, Right? this part over here, this is is exciting. This is easy. God does all the work. Discipleship, that might not cost us anything. Discipleship costs us everything. Everything. Now that's a big thing to say, but I'm not the one who said it. The Bible kind of makes this really clear in a number of stories. And and so very quickly, we're going to look a lot today, but very quickly, let's, let's first go to an encounter that Jesus has with someone who loves him and who Jesus loves. This guy loves Jesus and Jesus loves him. But what he's not willing to do is to pay the price of being a disciple. Listen to the story. You know the story as the story of the rich young ruler. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 23. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? (laughs) Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one's good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Well, teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. I love verse 21. Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. I mean, Jesus, he cared about this young man. And so he said to him, there's one thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Do you realize that Jesus was offering him a chance to serve as a disciple? He was asking you, join me, in the, like right now, today. Sell everything you have, and then let's go. Be one of my guys. Let's go together on this journey. Like Follow me today. It was quite an invitation that he offered him. It's not any different than the invitation he offered to Peter and John and James and all the things that he accomplished through them. This young man has the opportunity to be a part of that. But the price was more than he was willing to pay at that moment. And Whenever I tell this story, I want to remind you, we don't know the end of this young man's story. We only see a snapshot. My hope for him is that at some point in his life, he comes around. But on this day, it says, At this the man's face fell. and He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the account in Luke of this story, it says, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, Jesus said, you cannot be my disciples. When Peter heard this, back to our story in Mark 10, Peter said, Jesus, he says, Peter spoke, we've left everything to follow you. We've left everything to follow you. Like, we gave it up. We're willing to do it. We're willing to, we're willing to give everything up. Like, for Peter, it was the boat, right? Let's look at one of those disciples' call stories. Let's, let's jump ahead just a little bit. Let's look at the story of James and John and their call to discipleship. It's found in Matthew chapter 4. It's a pretty short little passage. It starts in verse 21. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who was in the boat with Zebedee, their father. Three men are out in the boat's and they had been fishing, and they are mending their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately, James and John, they left the boat and their father to follow him. This is kind of a big deal. We know from other stories that the mother of James and John, she's pretty close to them. Like, she actually goes to Jesus one day and says, hey, let them sit on your right side, and your left side, all that stuff. It's a tight family. It's a tight family. And when Jesus calls these two young men, they're there with their dad, and it's the family business, and they don't just leave the boats behind, they leave their dad behind. Like they, they're like, okay, we're willing to leave everything behind to follow you, Jesus. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. This is the cost of discipleship. I want us to be a church of disciples of Jesus. People who follow him wherever he leads. Listen, disciples sometimes have to lay aside lesser things. For Peter, it was the boat. For James and John, it was the boat and their dad. For Matthew, it was the tax collector's booth. Are there things that we need to lay aside so we can better follow Jesus and and do what he wants us to do? Because true disciples lay aside lesser things in order to take hold of the best thing. The most important thing. There's a second thing that true disciples do, and that is that they they answer the call to follow. To follow. It's one thing to say, I want you to save me, Jesus. It's another thing to say, I'll go wherever you ask me to go. One of the hallmarks of the disciples is that they followed Jesus wherever he led them. They followed him up in the mountains. Uh, They followed him into a boat on the stormy seas. I love that passage in Matthew chapter 8. Jesus says, they got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And a great storm rose in the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves. Like they probably had a clue when Jesus walked to the boat that there was a storm ahead. They might have had some idea that bad weather was coming, but if Jesus is getting the boat, I'm getting in the boat. I'm going to follow him wherever he leads me. And man, did he lead him some places! He led them across that stormy sea to the land of the Gadarenes where the madman of Gadara, right? The guy who the chains couldn't hold him in the the graveyard. He was a crazy man. In fact, possessed by, it says, a thousand demons, a legion. Jesus led them all the way there. I I don't know about you, but I'm not anxious to go run into that guy. But they would follow Jesus wherever he led them. He led them one day to a, a place that some of them would surely have found off-putting when he took them to the tax collector's house to Matthew's. And, and there were all these tax collectors and sinners there. And some of these guys were good, faithful young men that had been raised in Judaism to know that there are people you don't associate with. And all of a sudden now they're associating with all the wrong sorts of people. And Jesus was the one who took them there. Of course, I love that story in Matthew chapter 9, right? This is in the age before immunizations. The only way that you could keep free from certain diseases was quarantine, like leprosy. You had to stay away from the lepers. That was the only way to avoid disease. So if you heard someone was sick and dying, you probably don't run to their house. (laughs) You stay far away. But when a man comes to Jesus, says, my daughter's died, but if you come, you can bring her back to life. They're like, hey, let's stay away from there. But Jesus says, come on, let's go to the house where this death is. Let's go see this girl. She's not really dead. She's just asleep. I'm going to wake her up. And so he takes them there. And that had to be scary. No masks? (laughs) Going out there in a world with disease that could kill you? Frightening. Speak of frightening, one of the most frightening stories is Matthew 16. One of the most scary places of the world at that time was a place called Caesarea Philippi. I don't know how much you know about this space, but it was a place that uh, in, in Israel's history, it's where kind of very close to where the, the northern kingdom had set up a center of false worship, of calf worship there. But after that time, when they had been invaded by pagan countries and foreign countries, it had become a, Philippi had, it had become a, a space for, uh, well, this is horrible, but for child sacrifice. There was a cave there, a very deep cave, and it was a place they would sacrifice their children to the god Pan. And there would be all kinds of horrible rites that were done there. And this place came to be known, this cave which had gates on it, it came to be known as the gates of hell. That's what Caesarea Philippi was known for. It was one of the most pagan places that, could be, that you could visit in that time. And Jesus took his disciples there. He took them there on purpose. And he goes to Caesarea Philippi, and this is like, whoa. When you talk about scary places, like... Okay, Jesus, now you've taken us in some weird places, but this, this, is, this is like at the line here. Like, You're taking us to the very gates of hell. What, what are you doing, Jesus? And yet, when Jesus takes them there, there's this incredible moment with Peter. We read about it. It says in Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And Simon answered, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. You are the one who has the true power in the world. Not all this demonic, crazy stuff. You are the only way, Jesus. You are the only way. To be a disciple is to follow Jesus. In Matthew 20, we read that the disciples are following Jesus, and Jesus tells them he's going to die in Jerusalem. It says that as they were going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests, the scribes. They will condemn him to death. John tells us in chapter 11 that Didymus or Thomas said to the rest of them, Let us also go that we can die with him. That trip to Jerusalem, they expect that Jesus is not the only one who's going to be killed they recognized that being a Christ follower could cost them their lives that's a big deal that's discipleship we often think of i come to faith and life is just great and it has a happy ending i don't want to sour you today but you realize that for the disciples they didn't have happy endings it didn't end well for them it didn't come to a nice neat fairy tale ending they died they were martyred for their faith And even though they don't die on this trip to Jerusalem, James, beheaded. John, tortured, imprisoned. and We're not even sure how he died. But a lot of bad things happened to old John. They paid a price. The cost. Discipleship. Disciples follow Jesus. But there sometimes is a place where we say, I'll follow you this far, but no farther. And even though those men would eventually die for faith, all of them came to the place where they said, I can't go past this, Jesus. This is my line. This is my limit. Now, it wasn't the first time. I'm going to read the story, but it's not the first time, right? In John chapter 6, we read about... The masses had already fallen away. They'd already abandoned Jesus. They'd followed him when he was giving them food and bread. But when Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me, that was the line. (laughs) I can't follow you past that. And John chapter 6, verse 66, that great thing. And and many people abandoned Jesus that day. They quit following him. Jesus had had that happen. But he'd asked the twelve, will you you also abandon me? The twelve, will you also leave me? And here we read of the night that they do abandon Jesus. It's sad. Matthew 26 says this. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Of course, you know, they fall asleep. Verse 55 tells us that finally the guards come to get him. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, "Am I leading a rebellion that you come with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me, but this has all taken place that the writing of the prophets might be fulfilled. And here's the line. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Is there a space where you say, I'll follow you this far, Jesus, but that's it. (laughs) That's my limit. Peter. You know his story. <laughs> he doesn't just desert him. He denies him three times. There's another mark of disciples. True Christ's followers may stumble, but they always return to Jesus. We may stumble. There may be a moment where we stumble and follow, and we fail to follow like we should. If that's happened to you, if it's happening to you, you are in the same boat as the first 12 disciples. They came to a point where they stumbled. But the beautiful part of discipleship is that that's not the end of the story. True disciples return to Jesus. And if you have stumbled, if you've fallen off, if you hear this sermon and you think, boy, I'm not living the life of the disciple, then come back and return. Listen, in Luke, we know that Peter's the, the, one of the very first to run to the empty tomb when he hears Jesus' life. He's, he's there. He's back. He returns. I want to be with Jesus. True disciples will return. And if you're far away today, then let this be the day that, like that prodigal son, you return. Say, Jesus, I, I faltered in my following, but I'm back. And here's the thing about the disciples. After they came back, their faith was stronger than it had been before. It was stronger than it had been before. One last thing I want you to know about disciples. It comes from something that Paul writes to the Colossians, and it, it's that disciples live and they grow with a purpose. They want to be more like Jesus. And Paul really outlines for us some practical steps we can take to be better disciples of Jesus. Listen to these words. I'm going to read them very quickly from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-17. through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Your disciples, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. As Jesus said, you know, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Well, Paul emphasizes this to to the Colossians. He says, in verse 3, you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So there are some things, if you're going to be a true disciple, you have to let go of. Some things you have to put to death. Listen to these words in in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Get rid of sexual immorality, impurity, and lust. Sex that's outside of the framework of Christian marriage. Get rid of evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, you used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Get rid of anger and rage, malice and slander. Get rid of filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, because you've taken off your old self with its practices, and you're putting on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. So there are some things we have to get rid of if we're a disciple. For for Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthew, it was was a boat and and a close family connection and and a tax collector's booth and a career. They had to get rid of some stuff that was the old life. There's some stuff we have to get rid of. And if we're a true disciple, there's also some things we need to put on. Here's what he says about The kinds of things that should be marking a holy life. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach as you admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Here's the capstone of what it means to be a disciple. Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. True disciples lay aside lesser things. True disciples answer the call to follow Jesus. And true disciples live and grow to be more like Jesus. So how about us? What things today do we need to lay aside so we can continue our journey of discipleship? Or maybe the question for you is, where is Jesus leading you, and are you willing to follow him there Is there something that he's calling you to do that you're resisting the call? Or the last of the questions, do people see Jesus in you or someone or something else? Do they see Jesus in your words, in your lifestyle, in your attitudes? If we're a disciple, a true disciple, then people see Jesus in us. Fortunately, most of us are not called to what brother and sister Matt and Ashley now were called to. When they graduated college, they, they got a, an actual phone call, came to their father, and then they went with their father to see Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son. Matt and Ashley, <clears throat> Ashley was a nurse, Matt had just finished school, and Franklin Graham said that they'd been on his heart. He called their father. He knew them. They were family friends. He said, Matt and Ashley, I need your help. Ashley, you are a talented nurse. You're going to make a difference in the world. Ashley, I I think God's calling you to something, and I want you to to think about it. It's a, a mission that we have in Sudan. Now, Sudan is considered by the United Nations one of the most dangerous places in the world. There's a hospital there that's been bombed seven times by extremists. But Ashley, we need someone there. There are lives that need saving, and there are souls that need saving. And Ashley, we believe and I believe that God can use you to great effect at this hospital in Sudan. Now, her brother, Matt, and her father, Kurt, were surprised that Ashley didn't wait a second. She just said, you know what? I'm going to Sudan. (laughs) Her dad was like, wait a minute. You can't make that decision right now. You just graduated from college. What's, What's next? But she did it. She said yes. The dad was trying to soak all this in when Franklin Graham turned to Ashley's brother, Matt, he said, Matt, I've got an even tougher job for you. 200 churches in Sudan, 200 Christian churches in Sudan have been destroyed by the extremists. The pastors are often tortured or killed, the churches are burned to the ground. Matt, I need you to do two things. He said, I need you to go capture their stories. People need to know the stories of the Christians in Sudan. And as you go to visit each of these villages, Matt, look for Christians who God is raising up to continue the work of ministry against all odds. Because we believe, he said, that God is going to plant five new churches for every single church that the pastors have been martyred. Go learn their stories and empower the new preachers to take over. Kirk, the father, said he couldn't believe it, that Matt didn't waste any time. As fast as his sister had said yes, Matt also said yes. And they both went to Sudan. Their story is fascinating. You can read more about it if you want to. But what's incredible is that they returned back after about two years overseas. And you know what? God had risen up hundreds of people to take the place of those pastors that had been killed. And many people's lives have been saved because of the care that Ashley was able to give, and many souls were saved. As people came into the hospital as victims of violence and couldn't make sense of what had happened to them and the cruelty they saw in their world, but they found hope in Jesus. Franklin Graham said this to both of them about the Maori's. Because of their work in Sudan, the first thing that the Sudanese people found reaching out to them when they lost everything, the first thing they found was the hand of God reaching out to them. True disciples do that. They become the hands and the feet of Jesus in a fallen world. Last week's decision was a decision for baptism. If you need to make that decision, we still invite you to make that decision today. But the call of this message today is a call for all of us to examine ourselves and ask the question, am I living as a disciple of Jesus? Contemplate that as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation.